Hey, welcome to our podcast, Taco Tuesdays with Tim Goes Online. I'm Alana Becker, and I'm here with Tim Langler. Hey, Tim. Hey, Alana. It's great to be chatting with you again. Yes, this is uh, quite a fun thing we have started to do here, isn't it? For sure. I'm definitely enjoying it. Uh, So for today, I was kind of wanting to talk about being a kingdom people. You've been talking about wanting Vineyard to be a church of many nations since basically the beginning, day one. And you've talked about the kingdom of God coming together as every tribe and people and tongue. And I was wondering if you could speak more into that. Yeah, I would love to. Certainly, yeah, since we started this church uh, 15 years ago now, I guess, that's been part of our vision uh, from day one. I mean, we planted this church out of an all-Hispanic vineyard. Uh, so we really had a very unusual beginning to, to plant out of, a, out of a church that was all Hispanic. But that's kind of been my life, too. My whole life, I, I was just always drawn to any multicultural situation around me. Um, and so it's always been a part of the vision of this church. And it's, it's really, for me, it's rooted in, in the book of Revelation in, in chapter 5. Uh, it says, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seal because you are slain. And with your blood, you purchase men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on earth. When you really study this, and I, I've preached on this passage many times, the first thing you notice is kind of the redundancies, or it kind of feels like it's redundant. Yeah. Well, tribe, language, people, and nation. Yeah. It's being really clear that, that every single person is to be included in the kingdom of God. This isn't sure. just something that's, you know, for a few people. Um, and then he goes on to say that we've been made a kingdom of priests to serve our God and we will reign on earth. So this is still talking about church. This is talking about the church on earth. This isn't talking about the kingdom of heaven. That doesn't come till the book of, uh, to chapter seven in Revelation. Um, but I believe that if we can get this thing down where we understand that every tribe, language, people, and nation are to serve together in the church as a priesthood, the priesthood of all believers, there is a power that will come into the church that we have yet to experience. In all honesty, the first century church probably had more diversity than Mm -hmm. any point in the church since then. Yeah. We tend to segregate ourselves in church. But this, this verse and this idea has just been so deeply laid on my heart for most of my life in ministry that, that we are to be, every tribe and every tongue and every language, ministering side by side as a priesthood. Yeah. Now, what's important to understand here, though, is both in this passage in Revelation 5 and in Revelation 7, it's making these distinctions of tribe, language, people, and nation to show us that we are not to be a homogeneous group. In other words, we all come together under the umbrella of Christ to be a priesthood, but we remain unique 
in our tribal history and heritage, in our language history and heritage, and in our, in our racial or national history and heritage. So we don't just become a monogenous or homogeneous group where we just all look the same. Yeah. We all get to retain our uniqueness, but under Christ as, as a priest, as a priesthood. Yeah. And so this is just, yeah, it's always been my vision for our church and for the church to have, to have this broad diversity reflected and everyone's still getting to retain that, but operating together. For sure, because as, as you even share about this, I'm reminded of how Jesus taught us to pray, you know, which is, you know, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And if we think of what heaven looks like and what's going to look like, it's going to have every tribe and tongue and nation. And so, you know, if we're bringing God's kingdom to earth, it's that bringing us, bringing together, you know, and specifically yeah. in the church, bringing together, I mean, all over too, and all all aspects of life, but if the church is going to be that representation of heaven on earth, which is what Jesus taught us to pray, it should be in that celebration and all bringing the pieces of who we are and our nationality and our countries and, and just what makes us beautiful. We should bring that, be bringing that all together. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Really well said. Um, and I often tell people, like, if you're uncomfortable with that, if you're uncomfortable with this idea of the church being broadly diverse, then you're going to be pretty uncomfortable in heaven. Yeah. You know? Because I'm pretty sure when we get to heaven, there's not going to be a white church and a black church and a Latino church and an Asian church up in heaven. I'm pretty sure we're all going to be at the feet of Jesus worshiping together. Yeah. And it's going to be really beautiful and amazing. And so yeah. if, if a scene like that makes you feel uncomfortable now, heaven might be uncomfortable for you too yes yes oh my goodness well you've also shared a lot of mission stories uh specifically lately too but i was wondering if you could share some more about your worship experience that you've had um in africa and mozambique you know and uh everything and kind of what some of those differences are what we can learn from them and i know you've you've had great stories and really have loved your time there and and specifically in the worship experiences you've had yeah that's 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 a great question and a great thing to explore uh yeah i've experienced worship in in several different nations different tribal settings there are a lot of differences that are that are really beautiful and amazing um like one thing that comes to mind right off the bat is just about anywhere that i've been in africa at least worship also includes a physical expression Mm -hmm. dance of some kind yeah. you know in in the in the american white english speaking church we might raise our hands or something but there's usually not a lot of physical expression uh i mean some churches obviously are more open to the dance happening but then it's usually just a few people whereas in africa it's like the majority of the church is dancing or jumping up and down there's this exuberant physical expression that goes along with worship that is just so amazing and so joyful and wonderful. Uh, and sometimes it's just people kind of dancing by themselves. Sometimes it's more almost choreographed where they know what the dance is and they're doing it together. I've got great videos of whole churches kind of doing a dance together. I love that. So that's a part of worship that's different. And then another thing that I've noticed that's different there is as you move through a worship service, 
they won't do the whole service in one language. Uh, just about anywhere you go, these people are going to be broadly, broadly multilingual. Um, you know, in Mozambique, uh, they're going to speak most likely Portuguese, which is the language of the street. And then they're going to speak at least two tribal languages, maybe Shona and Sena, something like that. And maybe others will meet many people there that'll speak four or five languages. Same in Senegal, they're going to speak some French, they're going to speak some Wolof. And then they're going to have a tribal language. When you go to a worship service, they will worship in all of those languages. So they'll sing one song in one language and then another song in a different language. And sometimes they'll sing the same song in two languages. And so you get this beautiful expression of these different languages within one worship service. And again, that's fairly uncommon here in the U.S. I know the Vineyard loves to, especially at conferences, will mix in some Spanish songs. Uh, but there, just to have this really broad expression of different languages is so cool. And then I think a third thing that comes to mind is, is time. Here in the U.S., we're pretty driven by the clock. And we try to make sure that worship services stick to a set time, hour, hour and 15, hour and a half, whatever it might be. Uh, I spent several years in an all-Hispanic church, Latino church here in the U.S. And frequently the services there would go three hours. But in, in Africa, that's generally the way it goes. Uh, when a service starts, you really have no idea when that service is going to be over. It can go on for hours and hours if the Lord is moving there isn't the the drivenness to stay uh with the clock with time uh, i had an african friend once tell me when i was over there he goes well you you americans you have the clock but we africans we have time mm, wow um, <laughs> that's so beautiful yeah and so the worship there will just go on and on and on and it's usually it's you don't want it to quit it's not like a yeah. oh is this ever going to be over right it's a really beautiful thing and and um you love the fact that it that it goes on and on i feel like when you when you say that because i i haven't i haven't been to the continent of continent of africa um, but when you say that, it reminds me of going to a conference or something where there's a lot more time allotted for worship and just it's you already plan out more time. And there's just something so, so impactful and beautiful about it that's different than that, like, quick, almost in and out feel of a Sunday morning church service. Right. Yeah, for sure. You know, and another difference, it's not it's not a big deal. I mentioned this more anecdotally, but. You know, anywhere you go to a church here in the U.S., the church is surrounded by a parking lot, right? Yeah. I've yet to see a church in Africa that has a parking lot. <laughs> yeah. Everybody walks or bikes to church because, you know, not that many people have vehicles. Land is too high of a commodity there. And, and so there isn't this part of commuting to church in your car. You get there through some other means. For sure. I don't mean to laugh at uh, their lack of vehicles. I just laugh at the fact that we just, you know, we think of our car ride to church as maybe long and it's not, you know. Right. Just, yeah. just the differences of our, our mentalities on things and how they're willing. And I think we've talked about this some before you have and a little bit of a tangent, but just their sacrifice that they're willing to give to, to arrive at these, you know, gatherings. 
yeah, I've had people tell me that they've walked for, you know, two hours to, to get to church. So it's pretty remarkable. But I think coming back to your question, I think you had asked me too, like, what can we learn from some of those differences? Yeah. And I think the biggest thing that I see <clears throat> is there's a freedom there that they have with the dance, with the many languages, with the not too worried about time. Um, I love the freedom that they have there. Whereas here we tend to structure everything so much. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that that's bad. We, we always need structure and, and to be able to, to get a handle on things. But I, I do wonder, and I do think that here in the US, our church, we could, we could learn from them in, in their ability to have faith and trust in, in the freedom to kind of let worship be more of a spontaneous event and less structured and less planned. And, and I think part of that comes down to lifestyle. One of the reasons we like to have our church services so structured is because we don't want to be late for lunch. Um, we don't want to be late for our next social event that day. We've got places to go and people to see. And so we, we, want, to, we want to move on. Whereas their lifestyle is such that they're so wrapped up in the church family. That's where they want to be. They want to be there at church all day. And they're probably going to have lunch together as a church anyway, and they don't have other events that they're rushing off to. And so I think part of the freedom that they have to linger in worship for a longer period of time just flows out of that different lifestyle of mm -hmm. uh, just how they do life and culture. It's interesting. So it almost feels like they, they do have a form of structure, you know, but their structure is more about being together and already planning to have lunch together and everything. So I think I think it is this interesting and and I think it kind of moves into the next thing I wanted to ask you about about how the Bible talks about the church being the body of Christ and how there's many parts and they're all needed you know and I was just wondering if you could speak more into that and you know how we can we can learn from each other like you're already talking about but just talk about the body of Christ yeah you know again I, I think it comes down to that kind of that same issue where we tend to like to have everything really structured and we tend to be very individualistic. Yeah. Uh, whereas they're, they're less structured, uh, more free flowing in time and way more community minded that they're, they're way more in it together. And that lends itself to being the body of Christ and even the, ex the expression of spiritual gifts. When, when you have more of that communal sense that we're all just really in this as one big family together, whereas, you know, you run to church and then you just got to get on to the next thing. It's, it can be, I'm not saying it always is, but it can be challenging to be the body of Christ effectively in our highly structured, highly time organized way of doing church, where when it's more community freedom flowing kind of thing i think it just lends itself to being the body of christ better yeah when when um the bible talks about the aspect of you know the the church being the body of christ and you talked a little bit about the gifts of the spirit and um would you say with what the Bible's talking about in that passage of the church being the body of Christ, would you say that that's talking about spiritual gifts? Would you say it's talking about different cultures or would you say it's kind of 
a mixture. Well, I think if we look at it with really good hermeneutics, biblical understanding, methodology of interpreting scripture, I think when he says that, when he gives us the, uh, you know, in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, when he talks about the body of Christ, I believe he's putting that in the context of spiritual gifts, because right before that he talks about spiritual gifts, then yeah. 1 Corinthians 13 goes into love, and then 14 goes back into gifts. Sure. I think the context is really spiritual gifts. However, I don't have a problem at all stretching that out and having it include this idea of every tribe and every tongue and every nation, because all of their culture, all of their differences, all of the things that make them beautiful then come into the church and make us the body of Christ that much better. Yeah. Just like we need to have all of the gifts represented, all of the spiritual gifts represented to be the body of Christ. I believe that if we get, give, get all of those cultural nuances and differences in the body of Christ, we're better as well. Yeah. I think there's a depravity almost that comes into the church when we're lacking a diverse experience in worship. Uh, we begin to, to see things just through too much of a tunnel vision. Um, one of the comments I always make is if you can go into any culture, their music, their food, their clothing, their skin color, whatever it is, that's all part of who God is, right? God made them the way they are, and then God is part of their culture and how they've created things culturally like food and music. And so it all represents a part of who God is. And so when we bring every tribe and every tongue together as the body of Christ, we more accurately and fully reflect who God is. And so when we're, when we're lacking that diversity, I just think we're lacking a fuller, more complete understanding of who God is. Yeah. Why, why do you think then, what is it that you think that comes up in, I'm not going to just say people, but in us in any moments that we may have racial moments, like what is it do you think that is, that is stirring up this you're not needed or you're not wanted or not seen as that beautiful aspect of God that they are? Yeah. Boy, that's a big question, isn't it? Especially in our day right now. Um, I think a big port of, a portion of it is we don't want to feel uncomfortable. Mm. Let's face it, as human beings, we like to be comfort, comfortable and we like to kind of be in control and know what's going to happen. And to be in a really diverse experience or to have people around us that are different races, different cultures, different languages, it can make you feel uncomfortable. And most people really don't want that feeling of being uncomfortable. And so I think superficially, that's a part of it, just not wanting to be uncomfortable. Then maybe a little bit deeper, there's just a lack of understanding. We, do, we don't understand why they're different. We don't understand uh, their music or their food or the smells that are part of their culture. And so, again, because we don't understand it, sort of a gut reaction then is to reject it. I don't understand it. I'm going to reject it. We see that happening every day. People make the most stupid comments simply because they don't understand something. Yeah. And then, you know, at a deeper level, let's face it, racism still exists and still exists even in the church. Yeah. And 
so often when you get those kinds of responses of, hey, you're not wanted around here, you know, let's hope it's something as simple as they didn't want to feel uncomfortable or they didn't have understanding, but there's a real chance that there's still some deep-seated racism there. Mm-hmm. And again, if that's the only thing you've ever known, if that's the culture, church culture you've grown up in, then that, that's just the way you're going to be. Um, but yeah, I, that's my best shot at answering that question. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. And I, I think it's definitely something that is so good and challenging for all of us to look at what has, what has been in our lives that's become natural and normal that, you know, it's like, oh, well, this is just the way I've always been. And how do we make those changes, you know, to, to start realizing what we're doing that is not um, loving and kind and, and um, appreciating people for who they are. And even with that, what, what would you, how would you encourage people, Tim, to, to show people and to say to people that their value needed and wanted to people who are different than us? Yeah, I think the best thing you can just do is enter into their world. That's all anybody really wants, right? Is somebody to enter into the world. Think about uh, when you're dating somebody, when you, when you first think, hey, wow, I really like this person. Is this the right relationship? The thing that would speak volumes to you is that they enter into your world. If yeah. they come in and they start to engage in the things that you like to do, they start to uh, hang out with the people that you hang out with, you know, the more they enter into your world, the more you think, hey, this could really be the right person uh, to have a, you know, a lasting relationship with. It's the same as we try to bridge, bridge the gap with other cultures and races. Just enter into their world. Mm-hmm. You know, go and do the things that they do. Eat the foods that they eat. Listen to the music that they listen to. Uh, just hang out and talk with them and hold their babies and just enter into their world. Um, and at first it might feel uncomfortable for you, but just remember, this is what Jesus has called us to do. And this is what heaven is going to look like. And it's okay to feel a little bit uncomfortable at first. Uh, Mm -hmm. I mean, I've traveled all over the world and I, I feel a lot more comfortable now than I ever did before, but I will still frequently get placed into situations where I'm like, okay, this is taking me to a whole new level. Hadn't planned on this, you know. But we go there, and we go there with joy, and and we know it's a part of what God has called us to do and to be a part of the kingdom. But yeah, I would just encourage people, enter into their world. The more you can do that, I think the more you will actually find that you fall in love with them and their culture and, and everything that they're about. That's so beautiful. Yeah, I love that. I think I think we get we get stuck in sometimes just like, this is what I'm used to, so I'm going to go with it. But like you say, the more we're willing to enter into people's worlds and try new things, we're going to discover stuff that we love, that we didn't know we had were missing. And I think that that could even be part of it as well, is that there's so much of culture and the kingdom of God that we don't even know uh, what we don't have yet, that I think as we we learn to embrace it, and love and really treasure each other and celebrate what makes us different. I think we're going to find some real, real beautiful 
beauty, for lack of a better word, and redundancy. Yeah, yeah, just a quick story that came to my mind. So when I was in seminary, again, my whole life, I've just kind of been drawn to people of other cultures and races and stuff. Yeah. I was in seminary, and I walked into class, uh, first day of class once, and I noticed a guy in class that was not white. He was from India. And so I just went, and I sat down next to him, and I, I introduced myself. His name was Amit. And Amit and I just immediately became the best of friends. It was like, how did we ever exist without each other in our lives? We just immediately became just two great friends and we would just hang out all the time. We would study together. But then he introduced me to Indian food and I'm like, where has this been all my life? <laughs> and so um, like, and now Indian food would be probably my favorite food choice of ethnic food. I just absolutely love it. I cook it at home for myself all the time. Uh, but it, it just, I just, you know, sat down next to him in class and we just became friends. And, and then I remember one year we'd known each other for a couple of years, but he wanted to take me to, uh, the church that he was attending down in Chicago. That was an all Indian church. They were going to have a Thanksgiving, an Indian Thanksgiving meal. And we went down there and I'm just loving the food. It's just great. You know, it's 110 degrees in the apartment and the food is hot and spicy and it's just the most beautiful thing. And then Amit introduces me to somebody and he says, this is my friend, Tim. He doesn't look it, but he's Indian. And I knew then that I had entered into their world at a level where they fully accepted me because I was introduced as Indian and I was white as they come. So, but it just brought about such a beautiful friendship and such a beautiful love for, for Indian food. And I have a hundred other similar stories, but that's, that's a good one. That's amazing. Thanks for sharing that. And uh, just everybody, thanks for joining us today for Taco Tuesday with Tim Goes Online. We'd love to have a, you join us next week. So till then, bye.